You should have probably just got like a pop-up or something. I did. This is actually the first time I've ever used Zoom. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all righty, folks. Welcome to the Mushing Alaska podcast, our next episode. Um, Super excited to do this. I guess uh, I'll also say that you know, missing my brother for this one. It's the first time that we've done a podcast, uh, not together. And, uh, just as a reminder, Sean's, uh, you know, I don't, don't feel too bad. Sean's, Sean's floating the Colorado river and in the grand Canyon. And, uh, let's see, we're doing this on the ninth. So he's, he's about a little less than a weekend. And, uh, I would imagine he's, he's enjoying this nice little reset. So, um yeah we'll be thinking of sean today but i want to welcome our next guest onto the podcast uh welcome isaac tiford he is fresh off of his second place run in the yukon quest 300 so uh super like great timing that this kind of worked out like that um and you know i know he's pumped up he just finished his qualifying race to be able to run the Iditarod so we're going to kind of talk about that today and uh yeah just welcome on man hey thanks for having me on I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to you yeah dude yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and uh crack a little beer and uh you know kind of toast to you congrats Cheers. on your race also I'm gonna toast to Sean just he's here with us in spirit uh, <laughs> I, I know he'd be super stoked to be talking to you tonight about everything so um i'll try to do justice you know he probably could take things a little deeper in in terms of like the mushing aspect of things but hopefully we'll cover a good amount of stuff so um but, but yeah so i guess uh just like first of all i think like uh you know i was thinking about how i met you so uh, a couple years back, I was visiting Sean. This was during his Iditarod run, and, you know, you worked with him, and, you know, he always had a lot of good things to say about you, and I was always, like, I guess what's kind of cool is all the people that we've had on, I've not gotten a chance to meet them, but I've actually met you, and, uh, you know, super nice guy. I wish that we would have had more time together because, like, as I was arriving, you were kind of, like, going out doing your thing or whatever but uh what was that you were like going surfing like in some crazy what was that story oh you know i if i remember correctly we were uh i was going out on a surf and ski trip on the the milo which is a boat out of homer and uh we were going out to basically yeah just do a bunch of surfing and skiing i think it was in like february uh right before i did it i want to say is when we did it just went out and i think it was like 10 days eight or 10 days we went out and just surfed and skied and had a good time out there by some glaciers out in the we left out of Seward it was an awesome experience very different from uh from dog mushing but it was it was a great experience nonetheless sure sure yeah that's yeah. I remember you like telling me about that that trip and I was like because you know Sean Sean and you kind of you have a great friendship and so like I was just genuinely looking forward to like hanging out with you and and then you told me about that trip and i was like well that's pretty fucking badass i don't think i don't think he's sticking yeah. around to hang out with me for that <laughs> no. and you know what's funny is uh the right after i got off of that trip you know who came on the boat to, to do a surfing and skiing trip or mo- mostly surfing right after i left you'll 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 love this uh steve no. steve really Steve-o stayed in the same 
like little room that I had. And so I remember I was out on the boat and I knew Steve-O was coming. And so I actually, I like wrote him a note and like drew him a little picture. And, and I told him, hey, if you want to come up to Talkeetna, if you ever want to go dog mushing, you know, I want to take you out. And I never heard from him, but it was still, uh, yeah, it would have been pretty cool either way. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess, uh, like the idea of that type of trip is like, doesn't really present itself unless you're in Alaska, right? Like you're going to surf and ski on the same trip. You're going to be surfing with glaciers and then skiing. That just sounds like a fucking epic trick, man. Yeah. I mean, it was the whole, the whole goal was we wanted to be able to do it in a single day, you know? And so we would, we'd go out get up early and take a little skiff. We'd be in some, you know, fjord somewhere and we'd just at the you know base of a glacier and we'd, you know, get on land and go out and go skiing and then come back in the afternoon when the surf was good and, and try and get some waves in. And so doing it all in the same day is a pretty unique experience because not many people do that, especially because that specific boat, Captain Mike, the guy that runs it out of Homer, I mean, he's just, just a surfing genius. I mean, this guy's, he's, he's, uh, he's a little bit older and he's out there surfing, you know, nine, 10 hours straight in February in Alaska. Jesus. Just with, you know, seals and, and just chunks of ice in the water next to you. And, and he, re he really gets after it and loves it. And seeing that passion was super cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome, man. I have I have more questions I want to ask about that, but I don't want to get like too deep down the rabbit hole on this topic. But um, nonetheless, just glad to my point being that, you know, just looking forward to hanging out with you when I was in Alaska. It's nice to kind of reconnect to you and with you in this in this venue. So um, but yeah, I was kind of interested a little bit like prior to you getting to Alaska. I, I guess you're from Washington. Is that right? Yeah, so I was I was born in Washington. I only lived there for the first like two years of my life. So, but I've still got a bunch of family there, and that's where my grandma lives, and all the cousins and aunts and uncles. And so, so where did where after that? Where'd you like? How, I guess tell us a little bit about your path that led you to Alaska. Um. So yeah, I mean, from there we moved around a bit because of my dad's job. Um, but we lived in Northern California for a little while, excuse me, Colorado. Uh, and then we kind of ended up in Salt Lake City. And that's uh, right after the Olympics in 2002. And that's kind of where I, I spent most of my time growing up. Uh, from there, I joined the military. And so I was I did that for a number of years. Uh, after the military, I came back and was living in Utah, pursuing a degree in outdoor recreation. Uh, from there, I basically, you know, long story short, kind of had a desire to get into guiding and started river guiding down the lower 48 and then uh, had an opportunity to move up to McCarthy, Alaska, which is where I spent my first summer in 2017 and guided on some rivers up there and did some ice climbing and glacier guiding and that kind of stuff. And then I kind of, I had it in my blood at that point and, uh, you know, I wanted to keep coming back. And so the next summer I came back and was in Seward. And then after that, you know, I kind of started getting connected around the state and yeah. And then eventually I ended up running dogs. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a random, a random, uh, segue, but you know, I, I love that I've ended up where I've ended up and I'm pretty excited to be here. Um, are you, I mean, I guess you're in your home as we speak that, you know, like, 
you're a homeowner. So it sounds like you're pretty comfortable living in Alaska. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Every time I leave, I can't, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I mean, I just got off a trip for my 30th birthday, went over to Europe and Germany and a, you know, a few other countries. And the entire time I was there, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But I want to be home. You know, I was very excited to be home sitting by my fire and, and with my dogs and it definitely, it gets, it gets in your blood and it makes living anywhere else seem not, not ideal. Yeah. I always like, uh, I could tell Sean, like when he gets back, you know, sometimes he does like maybe a 10 day trip, maybe sometimes he does like a month or whatever, but I can always tell like he gets to a point where he's like, ah, I miss Alaska. And, uh, it's like, I don't know if he's fully going to ever like, just tell us like, yeah, I'm going to stay here forever. But like, in my mind, I'm like, I think he's fully staying there forever. I think he's got the Alaska bug and, you know, I mean, maybe he could like live somewhere on the West coast of the lower 48, but I think ultimately he'd be always like thinking about Alaska. So you guys are, I guess you guys are similar in that regard. Um, But yeah. So like, you, you just started getting into dogs. Like, I don't know, like, where did your, where did the idea come to, I guess, start working with dogs or was it like you were living in Alaska and you were like, okay, I want to do this sled dog racing stuff. Like what happened there? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was living in Seward at the time. I was there for a number of years guiding in the summer and then I wasn't doing a whole lot of work in the wintertime just mostly skiing and ice climbing and, you know, having a a good time. And I became friends with uh, Dallas CV's brother, Conway, um, who is uh, a junior Iditarod champion, fun fact. And he's now a full-time musician living in the lower 48 uh, down in Vegas. And he, him and I were friends. We made music together. And then there was a point where I was looking for some winter work and winter work around Seward and, you know, a lot, a lot of Alaska can be tough to come by just because there's not a whole lot to do uh, in Alaska in the wintertime, guiding-wise. And so I asked if he'd reach out to his either his dad or his brother. I knew they, they had operations, you know, kennels, and I uh, just wanted to see if they needed help and maybe I could help out because I was interested in dogs. I've always kind of had a desire to learn how to dog mush, and I was like, this is probably the best way to do it, you know, get in on the ground floor to, at a reputable kennel and yeah he uh he hit up dallas and asked him if if uh he needed any help and and then that's kind of how i uh how i ended up at the kennel but what's funny is dallas told me later i was talking to him about it and he said that 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 his brother conway had told him he's like yeah i've got a friend who's just you know looking for a place to crash who can help out and, and Dallas told me that originally. And I'm like, that's not what I said at all. You know, I was looking for a job. And so he thought, he thought I just needed a place to live and was willing to like scoop poop or something, you know, in the dog yard. And it's kind of funny. And that was four years ago. So. Wow. That's fun. That's a funny story. That's a funny story right there. Um, so, yeah. So you just kind of got thrown in the mix with like, uh, you know, I would argue in, the current era of mushing one of the top mushers. Uh, So what was that like? You know, I mean, 
I could speak to my sh- brief experience, like meeting him, you know, when I was vending Sean, when Sean was working there and doing that Diderot. And gosh, I, I mean, he was super easy to talk to, approachable, down to earth. I mean, we connected on like some of like what I do in my work. And I work with like, uh, I work with deaf and hard of hearing individuals. And, you know, Dallas, Dallas has a family member that he like does ASL with, which we just, anyways, we like, he's just a super nice guy. So, um, you know, like what you've been, you're there for four years now. Like what, uh, what's your experience been like working with him or for him? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. I mean, with, with him not being that much older than I am, we, we've been able to kind of you know, have a, a, a friendship outside of just running dogs, going and putting in trails and, you know, going ice fishing and doing stuff like that. And, and, you know, so I, I definitely do consider him a friend, but also a mentor, which has been kind of the biggest role he's played in my, in my life. Um, recently, especially during this last race, he was, he, uh, he handled for me and, and was very, very involved in kind of, teaching me the ropes of how to run a dog team at a competitive pace, which has is relatively new to me. You know, I didn't know a lot of the things that he was kind of throwing out at me. And, um, but, but seeing, seeing how well he knew the team that I had, because many of the dogs that I raced in this last race were, I did rod champions that he had run two years ago. And it was, it was, it was pretty incredible to see kind of the way that his, his mind worked. And the way that he was explaining things to me um, while I was out there, and I'm like, wow, this is I I did not think of this, or oh my, you know, this is this is insane. The fact that he thought about this and he wasn't even out on the trail, and he knew exactly what to expect when he got to this checkpoint and what I should do, and you know, so um, it's been cool having that that uh, mentorship for sure. And uh, you know, I feel very lucky to be mentored by someone like Dallas because he is he is easy to work with and. And I mean, he obviously has the track record to, to back up all of his, his, uh, his experience and his, his advice when it comes to running dogs. So it's been, it's been a really cool experience. I, you know, I, I consider myself very, very lucky to be at the kennel that I'm at now working for uh, someone like him. Sure. And honestly, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to break down some of these other races that you've, you've run and then, you know, really break down the Yukon, U- but um, have you, has he handled for you in the past? Have you been in races where you have a handler or, um, you know, that was the first one that he, he handled for me, um, in now last year I did a kind of last minute. Um, I signed up last minute for the connect 200, which ended up being quite a rowdy race, um, weather wise with crazy winds and all that stuff. But he, he approached me like a, a day or two before and was like, Hey, do you want to run this 200 mile race? And I was like, uh, sh- uh, uh, uh yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it kind of just caught me off guard. And so he showed up for that and helped me get out, out of the starting shoot and, you know, was there for that. So that was cool, but he didn't actually handle for me. And so this was the first time actually having him as my sole handler, which was a pretty incredible experience. Nice. Nice. And I guess, so I guess I want to take a step back there. So you met Dallas and was the conversation just about working or was it about like, Hey, I'd love to maybe run some races. Like how did that, how did that evolve? Yeah. So when I first got to the kennel, I mean, I, I, I came in with a, 
a, you know, quite a few years of guiding experience. And so I kind of just slid right into running tours at the kennel, um, the tours that we run, the, the mushing tours that we run. And I did that for my first year. And then I remember at one point he was, uh, he was fueling up our tractor and we were outside having a beer together. And, and I remember kind of yelling over the noise of the tractor. I was like, Hey, I, I kind of want to talk to you about something. And, uh, uh, I, I kind of want to get into racing. And he was like, Oh, really? Okay. You know? And so then he, he didn't realize that was something I wanted to get into. And so from that point on, he started to like kind of plug me in and, and give me an opportunity to sort of um, not only do tours, but, you know, get a little time away from that to be able to go out on some training runs and, you know, learn how to camp dogs and do all that stuff. So that's kind of how it started. And then, uh, yeah, it just morphed into, you know, I kind of want to do a qualifying race and see how I like it. And then I did one and I was like, oh, let's, let's do another one and a third one and a fourth one. And, and then here we are today. So it, it didn't originally start out as me wanting to be competitive in dog mushing. You know, I always dreamed about the Iditarod and I was kind of very far off in my, in my uh, daydreaming, you know, I always think about it, but it wasn't really a, a reality until kind of recently for me. That's awesome. So yeah. uh, did you do any racing while Sean was there at the kennel or did, did your racing and his race racing not overlap? Let's see. So when, when Sean was at the kennel, let's see, I want to say that I did. Yeah. So the very first race I did the, I didn't rod the one that Jeff King put on up on the Denali highway, the 200 mile race. I believe Sean was there for that one. Um, actually I'm pretty sure he was on the Iditarod trail while that race happened because I remember telling him, I remember looking at him, you know, and talking to him before the race. And I was like, you know, by the time you're at, you know, 75% into the Iditarod or, you know, a couple hundred miles from the end, I'm going to be on the trail too. And I remember joking with him one night before the race started, I was like, just look up at the stars and I'll look at the stars at the same time. And we'll be, we'll be bros out on the trail, just different parts of Alaska, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that was one race we were there together for. And then, um, yeah, I guess last year, I think he might've been there for the, for the Kinnick as well as the Willow. I think that was right around the time he, uh, he took off. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so you also did the Willow. Is that what you, your other race was? I did. Yep. Okay. So you've done, I didn't ride Kinnick, Willow, and then most recently the quest. Yes. Okay. And uh, like Sean and I, in, in the other podcasts, we've talked about, you know, having different teams like a, a you know having like the a team the b team or you know pups and stuff um we've talked about the idea of you know doing a race and and just experiencing it and trying to, to get to the finish line versus being competitive so uh like have you been competitive in your other races were you with as seasoned dogs for those races kind of talk a little bit about that yeah, so the the first three races I did, so the, the I didn't rod Knick and the Willow, were all with younger dog teams, and so they were generally, you know, I'd say a year and a half to two years old. So it was it was one of their first, if not second, race. Um, so I I was mostly finishing in the middle towards the back of the pack. In fact, in the Knick, I finished with the Red Lantern, so very very back of the pack. Uh, had a young team of dogs, crazy windstorm, and and you know I was very excited to finish, and I think it was a great experience for the dogs because they came out of that 
knowing how to run through some wind. And that actually, you know, came into play in the quest because they weren't even phased by any amount of wind that we got. And so, but it was definitely, uh, you know, we spent five to six hours at every checkpoint, um, camping on the trail, breaking up longer runs, all of that kind of stuff. So running with the, the younger dogs was, I think, a really good experience um, to learn how, you know, how to run a race and how to do it well and how, you know, see what it looks like when a team crosses the finish line with, you know, 25 hours of rest versus like 15. And, and uh, you know, but up until this last race, yeah, I, I basically ran what we would consider puppy teams. So under two years old. And yeah, it was, it was a, a very, it, it was a huge shift going from that to running a team of, of what we would consider race, race age dogs. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So this, so this race was your longest race then, is that correct? Uh, it was the same length as the willow. So oh. they, they were both 300s. Okay. And, um, and so in the quest, you have a handler, whereas that's not always the case in the other ones, correct? Um, so in all of the races, except for the, I didn't rod, we had a handler in some capacity, um, someone basically to deliver our drop bags to checkpoints, um, and pick up drop dogs if we need to, because most of those races are primarily on the road system. So if you had to drop a dog at a checkpoint, they could they could scoop them up and take care of them and uh, and take them back. But this one definitely did require a little bit more of uh, handling as far as the the road and the pass they had to drive over just to get to the certain checkpoints and kind of being available to do that was was a an undertaking for a handler for sure. Yeah, I remember Sean. I forget who he handled for, but he did the quest. I believe it was a thousand the thousand mile run of it and he said as the handler you kind of double the miles doing there and back and covering I guess the trail or whatever so it sounds like it's I mean obviously it's not the same as what you go through but uh it still is is a lot of work for the hand on the handler side of things I guess yeah actually fun fun little fact about that so three years ago was when Sean ran in the quest and that happened to be the very first dog race that I ever showed up to, to see in person. Cause I had just started working at the kennel and a few of us from the kennel were like, let's drive up the Fairbanks and two rivers and go hang out with some friends and go snow machine out onto the trail and go watch the mushrooms go through. And so I went out and that was my first mush, the, like the first race that I had ever seen. And that was, you know, incidentally the first time I ever saw Sean is he passed us on the trail and, you know, we were all cheering him on. Hey, you know, wanting to give him a beer and, and all that stuff. And, and that ended up being kind of the starting point to us becoming friends because it was the first time I ever met him. Nice. So kind of cool. I love it. Like, That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Throw back a couple of years and I'm in the same race. It was, it was kind of a cool, cool, full, full circle, you know, turn. Nice. <laughs> So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about more specifically about, you know, your experience with, uh, the quest and, uh, you know, um, I know that I watched a video of Dallas kind of talking about conditions were, were pretty nice. Um, kind of just tell us uh, your, just give us your overall kind of like synopsis of the experience or just whatever comes to mind off the top of your head. Yeah. So, I mean, going into the race, I was definitely, 
from what I've heard from other people that have been in the race, I was definitely nervous when it comes to what, what the trail can throw at you as far as conditions go, because there have been um, quite a few years where it's either very low snow, um, incredible overflows, super, super low temperatures, you know, all that stuff, high winds, you know, impassable summits. And so that was the stuff that I was thinking about going into the race. And uh, this year, you know, we got some snow up in Fairbanks, which they really needed the week before. And so that, that made for a slightly punchy trail for part of the trail, but it wasn't, it was completely, you know, it, it wasn't bad at all. Um, but it, it wasn't a super fast trail until towards the end when the teams had kind of packed it down a little bit and it had cooled off, but going up and over the summits, it was pretty nice having that little bit of snow. So you weren't, you weren't going down the backside of, you know, Eagle summit on dirt, rock and ice. Uh, it still was fast and it was mostly sugar. So there wasn't a whole lot of breaking when it, when it, you know, when it comes to going down the hills, but uh, I, it, it was a pretty ideal run when it comes to weather. I mean, it was a full moon at night. We had generally mostly clear skies, uh, very little wind, the temperature, especially on the colder parts of the run through places like Birch Creek were anywhere from 15 to 25 below, which is a, uh, you know, good, good weather for running a team of dogs in. It wasn't 55 below, which in years past is not uncommon. So it was, you know, as far as weather goes, it was a pretty, pretty good, pretty good race. That's awesome. So yeah, like weather-wise you weren't, there wasn't like a moment where you're like, Oh man, I'm, this is, this is not an ideal <laughs> uh, condition or anything like that. It was, it was all like reasonable for what you were doing. Yeah. And I mean, with the team of dogs that I had, I mean, nothing even came close to phasing them. They were, there was a little bit of wind going up over the summits and made the trail a little bit hard to find in some spots, but the dogs I had zero problem finding it. I didn't even have to give them a command the entire time. Wow. They just found it and, and followed it. And it was pretty incredible to see them. Even at that point in the race, you know, over 150 miles into the race, they're, they're screaming to go up the hill. And we were going like two miles an hour, just climbing up this hill. And, and they were just screaming to go, like they were so excited to climb this hill. And a lot of that comes down to the amount of time we spend training on hills. We do a lot of hill training. And so getting to that hill, I was not even worried after I saw it. I was like, yeah, these, these, these boys got it. <laughs> they're, uh, they're professionals. And so in terms of the training, are you doing most of the training? Is, uh, is Dallas also doing some of that with you or do you have other folks there helping out or what's, what's the deal with that? Yeah. So, uh, Dallas is, um, taking the year off. So he's only run a couple of times this season, more, more so to help with kind of looking at how dogs are running and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the bulk of the miles, yeah, that would mostly be me and, and a lot of people at the kennel. Um, we do share the responsibility uh, just with people, you know, wanting to have some form of time off, that kind of stuff. So we'll, we do share the responsibility, but I've, I've kind of been the, the main person at the kennel helping to train the race dogs. And, you know, we've got about 28 race dogs right now that require training. Um, and so that's more than one person can handle. So a lot of it gets broken into smaller teams and uh, it's a chance to kind of teach the younger mushers and the newer mushers at the kennel how to run smaller teams of, of race dogs. And so we'll kind of often break them up into three or four small teams and go out and do a camping trip in the mountains or something like that. But 
Yeah, it's been, and then Kelly Maxner, who's running a team of Dallas's dogs this year. And I did a rod has been doing a lot of training. In fact, he's out now on a, a 400 something mile series with 15 of our race dogs. So nice. So he's doing that as we speak. Yeah, um, we were, we were actually uh, discussing him. We were curious, uh, like when he started to get there and start doing the training, you know, like, I guess, I what well, he's living in Alaska, but he's not in Talkeetna. So it, like, how does yes. that schedule, how does that schedule work? You know? So he lives down in big Lake. Um, and he's actually a dentist and he's got a family with, uh, um, some kids and all that stuff. So he's, he's got a lot on his plate when it comes to responsibilities like that. But he, the way we've kind of been doing it is, you know, every, every two, two and a half, three weeks, whatever the training kind of dictates we'll go out and do a, a training series so you know I've been up to the highway with him mushing out to Alpine Creek Lodge and doing some shorter series out there I've traveled down to Big Lake and trained out uh, on the Iditarod Trail and the Connect Trails outside of his property there and that's where he's training now he's come up to our kennel and we've done some training um, so kind of a lot of it ends up being around when he has time off so like weekends and stuff like that so he'll work the whole week at his regular day job and then show up on Friday afternoon and, and we'll go run 200 miles up in the mountains behind our, our, uh, compound. And, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it's been really good. It's been nice having just an, another very experienced dog musher. I did a rod musher to learn from out on the trail. So it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to know him really well, which has been cool. Nice. Nice. I have some more like follow-up questions on I did Rob, but I want to get back to uh, focusing on you and your race. <laughs> so uh, um, I guess one thing that I was looking in, you know, like with Sean being out of town, I don't have like too many resources or, or information, but I was curious um, if you, what you could tell us about the field uh, of other mushers that you, you were against. I I'm familiar with, Matt Hall being uh, an Iditarod veteran. Um, and I know I've heard Sean mention a few names on the list, but uh, just curious, like, if you – just anything that stands out or that's worth mentioning about the the field. Are these people that are ultimately trying to – like you, trying to qualify for the Iditarod? Or just if you can speak to anything on, on that end. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, to be honest, most of the most of the mushers that were competing in the 300, I I didn't know a ton about. Um, I I I did end up meeting and becoming friends with uh, Ronald Stifler, and he works out in McCarthy with a kind of the a company that was right next to where I used to work. And so him and I camped on the trail together, and he ended up coming in third place and did a really really good job. And he was also in the Copper Basin. And I just, so, I just real quick, I got to say Ronald Stifler. I, I just, I love that name, man. It just rolls right off the tongue, man. Ronald yeah. Stifler. <laughs> it, I, I'm not going to lie. When I was on the trail and we were passing each other, I was like, is that, is that Stiffy? Is, is that Ronnie? Is that Ronald? Oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. He was a lot of fun to see out on the trail and pass and camp alongside. And, um, but for the most part, to be honest, I didn't, I, I wasn't super familiar with a lot of the other mushers. Um, and a lot of them were more Fairbanks mushers, which is kind of a completely different uh, circle, I, I guess I want to say, because we kind of were closer to Willow, which is, you know, we know a lot of the Willow mushers. We kind of run a lot of those Willow trails. 
And so I, I don't know a ton of Fairbanks mushers. And so that was, it was cool. I got to meet a lot of new people and, and see a lot of new dogs that I've never met before, and, uh, which was cool. But, you know, as far as going into the race, I definitely knew that that Matt Hall was going to be a uh, obvious contender. You know, he's, he's a top 10. I did a rod finisher and uh, he's got a really good team of dogs and he's been doing this for a while. So he was definitely someone that I, I wanted to keep, uh, keep an eye on for sure while we were out there. Nice. Okay. And uh, like, so going into the race, did you, what were you telling yourself? Did you have like an expectation? Obviously you mentioned that these first three races, you were kind of running younger teams. So it was probably more of like, just get the experience. And uh, so this is like one, one of the first times where you can fully like send it, you know? So like, what was your, what was your thought going in uh, into the race? Yeah, you know, to to be honest, I was I was I was pretty excited to have a team of, you know, I did rod veterans and these older boys in my team, and I was excited for a chance to get to try out the the whole competitive aspect of dog mushing because up until that point, I'd just been running dogs, kind of not really paying attention to who was passing me. My goal was to get the team to the finish line and to give them a good experience and kind of train them and teach them how to do it right. Um, but I was pretty excited going into the race. Uh, I was definitely nervous, you know, but it was, it was one of those things that I, I knew the dogs could do it. Cause I mean, seven out of the 12 dogs I had on the team had one I did rod two years ago. So I knew those dogs had it in them. Like I, I, I knew I had a really good team. It was more so me being able to sort of trust them and, and also at the same time, figure out how, to run a competitive schedule on my end, which was what I learned a lot about. Here, sir. I was, uh, I think I was noticing your PBR, my PBR. Right? Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, Cheers. Nice. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the dirt bag drink of choice. So you'll, you'll <laughs> love the story. Here. You'll love the story here. Hopefully that was still catching. So the last time Sean was here two times ago. All right. Sean bought like a 30 rack or maybe even a bigger box of PBRs. And, you know, our, our choice in this house isn't usually PBR. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I also don't drink too, a ton of beer. So Sean didn't finish the beer while he was here. And before he left, he like, he's like, here's some stuff that I didn't finish, including the beer. And it sat in my garage for a while then Sean came back and I was like, oh, he's back. So I threw it in the fridge <laughs> and they still didn't get finished. So today oh. I was like, what a perfect, like, this is a perfect way to bring Sean up at some point in, in yeah. the podcast. And, uh, you know, this is a beer he purchased and he'd be drinking. He'd be happy drinking with you and, and us right now as well. So cheers. You know, when uh, when he was working at, at Dallas's kennel, we always used to have a, a thing where we would always have shop beers. So in our shop, we would always take turns buying a case of beer and it would always be like pretty much one of three brands of beer. We'd have PBR, Rolling Rock and Coors Light. Like those are the three, you know, those are the three you chose from. And every other time, you know, you'd go buy a case and, and that way, when you get back from a run, you know, you always have a cold beverage waiting for you. And it was it's nice, especially when you live kind of a drive away from town. So it's, you know, it's not, not super easy to go pick up a case of beer. We just always have one in the shop. It was, it was good. 
Nice a little yeah. camaraderie there, keeping you, keeping you know, keeping it uh, ready and, and and stocked, ready for whoever's coming in from the latest run or whatever. Absolutely, got to uh, stay hydrated. Yeah, there, there you go, there you go. Um, so yeah, so you started the race in, I guess I would call it the sixth hole, right? You were thirty six, which I guess that's how like they. Why do they start at in the thirties? I guess. That was it has nothing to do with the with the five hundred with the five fifty folks leaving first. So even though I drew bib six at the at the bib draw, I was technically thirty six. Right. Um, but I don't I don't really know how they got thirty six because there wasn't thirty five fifty mushers. So I'm not one hundred percent sure how that worked. But right. Yeah, six to start for the three hundred at least. Yeah. So six to start, and then you know, like just getting the two rivers. You know, like. It, did you have a rough start? Were you just kind of taking it easy? Just like I know, just looking at the checkpoint lit that I'm looking at now, like you were you were actually in last at that point. So like, was something going on in that first part of the race? Um, no, and to be honest, I was just taking it easy. Um, kind of my my goal at the beginning part of the race is because what a mistake that a lot of people make is kind of just when their dogs are strong, taking off super fast and super hard. And, you know, that's, that's a good recipe for, for injury when it comes to a dog team. So my goal was to start up because they were, they wanted to go fast, but I spent a lot of, a lot of time using that break to keep them kind of keep their speed down just get them in the groove. Cause for the last, you know, three days, we had been in Fairbanks just living out of the dog truck and going to meetings and vet checks and all that stuff. So they hadn't had a chance to stretch their legs or anything like that. So we spent a lot of time just kind of riding that break and going down the Chena river. We ran into a good amount of overflow. And at one point I had, I had a, a couple dogs fall into an open lead on the river, which was kind of a, a little, little scary to see, but they, they climbed right out on their own. I ran up there and they were like, shook it off tails wagon, ready to keep going. And, you know, and those are two, I did a lot of vets and they were like, no, we've, yeah, this is no big deal. No big deal. Um, but luckily it was, it was warm. It was above zero. So it wasn't a super cold run, but no, it was a, what I would consider a, a good run, but it definitely wasn't fast. And that, that wasn't my goal at that point. I was kind of, you know, I was letting people pass me. I was like, you know, go, go on ahead. Like we're, we're, we're fine where we're at. We're not going to try and race right out of the gate and, uh, kind of what, you know, going back to what Dallas t has taught me over the years and, and whatnot, you know, he's like, they, they're going to lock into that pace, but in the beginning, they don't want to, you know, they want to go 11, 12, 13 miles an hour. And if you let them, they will. And then, you know, after that, it's going to be a little tougher to get them locked into that pace. So you start out where you want them to be and let them lock in. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, and then like from there, all your other checkpoints you were in second or first the rest of the way. And uh, I I'm sure it's someone has pointed this out to you, but at one point you were leading both the 300 and the 550, or at least in terms of most miles traveled. Yeah. I like at one point I, I like looked at, I'm like, wait, Isaac's Isaac's in fucking like he's in front of Brent right now too. I love that. I actually, yeah. I, I remember passing Brent when he was camped on the, on, on Birch Creek. And I, I passed Matt Hall and he was camp and I was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. And then I remember passing Brent and it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, this is, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, this, this dog team is obviously, you know, they're, they're a top tier dog team, but it was just kind of 
mentally I was like, wow, this is crazy. I never, never saw myself passing a, a very accomplished musher like Brent Sass. Sure. Um, and then we ended up camping just down the river from him, not, not too far. Cause we were planning on camping there anyway. And, and, uh, and then he passed us while we were camping, but you know, it was, I think it was, it, it was pretty cool. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. and then like, like the rest of the way were you and Matt, uh, kind of like going back and forth in terms of like seeing each other or, uh, was he, it was like kind of steady. You, you were in second, he was in first. What was going on there? Yeah. So after, uh, when I passed him right before I passed Brent, um, on the, like, right when we got under Birch Creek, I ended up stopping for three hours, which was our plan. And then he passed me, um, right as I was starting to put booties on my dogs and get them ready to go for the next run, um, into central. And at that camp, actually, I, I decided to give them cause we had planned, you know, Dallas and I had talked about it and we had planned on giving the dogs a little bit more rest if depending on how the trail looked, you know, and by a little bit more, I mean, you know, 15 to 30 minutes is what we were thinking, depending on how the trail looked, how the dogs looked. And at that point, you know, my, my main goal for the race was to finish and qualify for Iditarod. And so that was kind of my first and foremost goal. And when I was out there, there were a couple camps where I ended up giving just a you know, an extra 10 minutes here, extra 15 minutes here. Um, and so I ended up giving an extra 20 minutes at that checkpoint, which I would have basically been leaving at the same time that, that Matt was leaving if I hadn't have given him that rest and, you know, looking back, it's, you know, 2020 is always a right. 2020 vision is always, you know, it's been a problem for many people for many years, but looking back, I'm like, you know, I, I think they would have done just, just fine without that extra 20 minutes of rest. It was just me being a little bit on the cautious side because we had some longer runs coming up and, you know, not being uh, with it being my first time in a competitive kind of mindset. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, pushing the dogs um too much and so i kind of i just decided to give them a little bit more rest and but from that point on we didn't see matt um besides in the checkpoints but we were kind of so we ended up kind of starting like 20 30 minutes behind them and then he gained uh, you know a little bit on us at that point and then then leaving circle i think we were about an hour and a half two hours behind him and then gained a little bit on him on that last 70 70 something mile run out i mean dude so it sounds like you kind of ran, you know, like what you're saying is slightly on the conservative side and you were under an hour from finishing, you know, beating him or whatever. You, it, you know, it sounds like you really could have, uh, you could have, if you wanted to really tried to push for it. You know, and like at the finish line, I, I told Dallas, I was like, you know, is this, is this, is this how you feel if you, if, if you don't get first like this, you know, you're looking back and figuring out like, Oh, I could have shaved five minutes off of this chore. Or I could have done this faster. I could have done this faster, or I could have not stopped at this point for this reason. Um, but to be completely honest, those dogs were ready to go. Like they, in, in, in my opinion, they were running at maybe 75% or 80% of what they could have done. So the, the team itself had a lot of, a lot of juice left in them. Um, and, you know, and it, it was, it was cool to see, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, man, those dogs had it in them to, to push harder. But, you know, me wanting to, you know, first and foremost qualify, I was like, I'm gonna take it easy and, and see what they're, see what they can do on this schedule. But, you know, they, they could have easily pushed harder for sure. I mean, they, we got to the finish line and I was like, these dogs aren't even, 
they're not even tired. Like they can take a nap and keep going, you know, which is basically what would happen in Iditarod when we finished the 300 miles. Now we're almost at our 24. And I mean, by the time we got back to the kennel in Talkeetna, they were screaming to go. Like we were hooking, we were get, getting dogs for another training run and they were screaming to go. And I'm like, these dogs are like, they weren't even tired. <laughs> and so it was cool to see that. So that means a lot of these, I, I would imagine a lot of these dogs are going to be uh, on Kelly's team, perhaps. Um, so a lot of the dogs I took, like I said, we've got 27 or 28 kind of of age race dogs, kind of making our A, B and C teams up for the, for the most part. So he, he right now has most of the dogs that he wants to take out in the Iditarod. Um, the dogs I had were dogs that didn't quite make his team still excellent dogs, whether they're slightly older A-team dogs or um, younger dogs that haven't quite, you know, jumped up to that, that level yet. But uh, there's a chance that a number of the dogs that I took on the, the run will be running with him and I did rod for sure. Wow. So you weren't even running the full-on A squad. I mean, maybe it was like the A, A, B, the A2 team or whatever, but I mean, you, it sounds like you didn't even have all of the, the best dogs in the group. No. And I mean, I, I had some really incredible dogs, but ones that for one reason or another might not make it onto the A team this year, you know, like dogs like profit who's going on nine years old, who's an incredible dog. Um, he's just getting up there in years and, but he's very reliable and he's a hard charger. And that's one reason why he was a huge asset to my team. Um, but then there, there are other dogs in the team that have won. I did rods and passed who are just getting up there in age and, you know, they're still able to compete at that level. But when it comes to a thousand mile race, we've got younger dogs that are more prepared to go charge into a big race like that. So, sure. But it's, it's tough to say because I mean, I would consider the dogs I ran in a team just based on how they ran, they were incredible. Um, but a lot of the dog, a lot of the dogs Kelly has right now are really good, you know? So it's, it's tough to tell and every dog has their own, you know, their, their pros and their cons and times when they shine and times when they, you know, look better than others. And, but I mean, the team I had was pretty incredible. They were definitely an A team in my book. I love it. Uh, so in terms of picking out your dogs, like what goes into that process? Um, you're the one who's doing a majority of the mileage and but Kelly is 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 part of the squad and he's running the the thousand mile race so is it kind of like Dallas it's at the end of the day it's it's Dallas who kind of makes those decisions do you have any ability to kind of persuade him how does that work uh yeah so I mean first and foremost the goal for this year is to get Kelly down the trail thousand mile race with the best dogs um that we have and with that being said, all of the dogs in that race group of basically 28 dogs are doing a very similar amount of training. And so for this race, it was an appropriate time for us to do a three to 400 mile training series. And so we, you know, after Dallas talked to Kelly and kind of figured out the dogs he was interested in taking, then we kind of figured out my team, but it, you know, Dallas at the end of the day, they're his dogs, it's his program. And, and so he makes the decision on who, uh, makes the final cut for, for races and whatnot. Um, but it, a lot of what happens is since I work so closely with the dogs, 
is, you know, all Dallas will ask me who's looking good, who, you know, who do you think would benefit from this? Who do you think would be the strongest in this team? Who do you think would be the weakest in this team? And then we kind of can formulate a team that way. But at the end of the day, he, you know, they're his dogs. So he makes that final call. Um, but, you know, also at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not, you know, all, every single dog that we have in that race group is an excellent dog. So getting one dog over another is more of a preference for me. Like, oh, I'd really like to be out on the trail with this dog because I raised them or I really like them, you know? So there's, it doesn't really come down to, to who's that much better than this dog. You know, it just, it's, it's who needs what and where they're at in their training so that they can be successful in a thousand mile race with Kelly this year. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess, quickly i was wanted to get your thoughts on the 550 the quest 550 and uh you know brent he won that i I felt like he kind of won it running away with it when i from what i was seeing he was always at least a solid run ahead of um i guess well amanda Otto. she uh ended up finishing in second um but i guess did you have any thoughts on you know, the result, either the results of the 550 or just some of the teams that you saw that, you know, like as we kind of get are now we're kind of shifting and getting into the Iditarod. Um, just any anything of note that you saw there? Yeah, I mean, Brent had a strong looking team. He uh, he was he was running his own race. And, and I think that he did a really good job. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about how Amanda was running. Cause there were a number of times where she took these like eight hour rests, which seemed like a lot and which put her behind the pack for a little while. And then she ended up passing all those people, you know, and, and uh, there's, there's a lot to be said about that because a 550 mile race is very different than a 300 mile race because you're not, you know, the racing doesn't even really start until you're past 300 miles. You know, so being able to set your team up for success as far as resting and as far as running at a conservative level, but also making sure you don't fall too far behind where you're now trying to chase down someone with a four to six hour lead. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was really interesting and the whole, I mean, the, the field of mushers out there, there's an incredible field of mushers and seeing them all out on the trail, like they had really good looking teams and yeah, but it was it was also one of the first quests where I, I think it might have been the first quest where they did the summits twice. And so that was also something that people were, you know, even someone like Brent, who's in a, a quest champion, a thousand mile quest champion multiple time, you know, it's that's not something they've ever had to do before. And so that's that was something that I thought was interesting and in how people handled that, because those quests are I mean, those those summits are no joke, you know, they're. And after I finished in central, I was like, you know, it, it's tough to imagine going back up over those at that point in the race when you're almost 400 miles in, you know, like this is, wow. Okay. That's not something I had to plan for, but the folks that ran the 550 had to plan for that. And that was, uh, you know, they, it seems like everyone did a really good job getting back over those, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a tough field out there. Yeah. And, uh, we had, I don't know, have you have you listened to any of our podcast by any chance? <laughs> I have, yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. So we had Amanda on. And so um, you know, this was like her big race of the year. And um, you know, we've talked to a couple other folks and just like we I think like 
we were just discussing, you know, I wonder what she can do. She's got a great dogs. She's got, you know, Jeff in her, in her back pocket in terms of, you know, like playing that mentor role, the way Dallas is to you. And, um, you know, like Wade finishing third, Cody Straith fourth, Nick Petit five, Riley, you like all, like, those are some strong names that she, she uh, pulled ahead of and like, you know, she pulled ahead of them pretty considerably. Uh, Wade's like another four hours and change behind her. So it was just like, I, you know, yeah. having just spoke to her before that, it was just kind of nice to to see that for her, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it just it just goes to show that one of the biggest mistakes that mushers make is is taking, you know, cutting rest from their team. Cause they think that, that they think that that will make them faster. And they're like, Oh, if I take an hour rest off here, hour rest off here, I'm going to get to the finish line sooner. And the reality is, you know, having a well-rested team, having a team that's ready to take on the trail and charge is a bigger of bigger importance than, than, uh, than taking shorter breaks, you know, cause breaks are what can kind of rejuvenate your team. So it's, I think that's a, a pretty valid point when it comes to racing and something I'm very new to and something I'm learning about, but, you know, giving your dogs the proper amount of rest and, you know, letting them perform at the level that they're trained to is, is huge. Man, I just have to point out, you know, in, in the, we've, we've been talking for maybe less than an hour, but like, it looks like you have been losing sunlight at a very rapid pace. Am I, am I right there? <laughs> cool, yeah, uh, it's all good. It's all good. I just uh, that's that's part of the circumstances of, you know, me being East Coast, you being West, uh, being in a West Coast that doesn't even do that justice. You being in Alaska, um, we're always fighting against some logistical nightmare with timing and lighting yeah. and all of that. So um, but, you know, one thing I did just kind of was looking at the notes that I had um i know that you dropped a couple of dogs oh you didn't have to do that i appreciate that (laughs) listen we want to see this i mean gosh this beautiful beard you have and just like see some of the sleeves on the side here um uh but what i was gonna ask was about your the dogs you dropped so you know um one thing that Sean and I want to talk a little bit more about as we continue this podcast is dog care. You know, it's can be for someone who isn't truly involved in, in the mushing world. Um, there can be assumptions that are made about dog care. So it's like you started out with 12 in the race and you ended with, what was it? 10 or nine. Is that right? 10 dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, which two dogs ended up, did you end up dropping and what goes into those decisions? Yeah. So the two dogs I ended up dropping were in circle. So before the last final run, um, Ariel and Whopper and both of those dogs are younger with Whopper being only three years old, Ariel's four. Um, so they were two of the younger, um, dogs on my team and specifically like with a dog, like Whopper on the run from, uh, in from central into circle, he was just kind of the, the the slowest dog on my team. And so the only reason I dropped him was purely because um, I didn't think he would be able to keep up with the older dogs on that final 75 mile push. And so for him, his race was over purely because I didn't want to have to, 
you know, eventually maybe put him in my sled bag and carry him if he got too tired. But he, he was a younger dog and I went into the race knowing that he might eventually have to be dropped before the finish. And so I kind of went into the race knowing that, but he was a valuable part of the team for the first 230 miles. Uh, and then after that, I was kind of, you know, I very well could have continued on with him. And if it was a training run, maybe it would have been a chance for him to learn and kind of grow. Uh, but when it comes to racing, I was like, you know, your time here ends. I think, I think since he was kind of the, the, what's the term, you know, shortest, shortest, uh, the, the, the slowest dog on the team at that point. And so, sure. He, and he was the weakest of, link, the weakest link. Goodbye. Weakest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, you can only travel as fast as your slowest dog, you know, and that's just the rule of dog mushing. So if you have a dog that's not traveling at the same speed for any reason, whether they're, they're not eating at the same pace as the other dogs or they're younger or they just, you know, like he's that, that was his first competitive run. And so for him, I consider that a win. You know, he did really well for the first 230 miles of a competitive run. Uh, and then the next time he goes out and does a competitive run, now it's not going to seem as difficult. So he's going to, he's going to have gained something from that experience, which I think is, is crucial to him kind of growing up and becoming a mature race dog down the road. So it sounds like the decision was kind of maybe even like made beforehand. You're like, you know, he's young. Maybe he doesn't get to the finish line. It wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, like you noticed something significant. It was kind of, it sounds like it was all kind of part of the plan. Yeah, totally. And a, a lot of, and especially in, in the Iditarod, when it comes to strategy, you know, a lot of what happens is you you know, you want to get down to your core team of dogs once you get into a later point of the race, you know, so taking care of 14 dogs, the entire I did, it's a lot of dogs to take care of. And at the end of the day, you want to have your dogs that you know are going to be charging once you're 300 miles into the race, the dogs that are, have that experience and know what to expect, you know? And so, so at the end of the day, I would rather have a solid crew of eight dogs that I can trust are going to be able to push you know, when you're that distance into a race, as opposed to having 12 dogs where three of them are, are going slower than the other, than the other dogs. And so right. having like kind of, kind of thinning the team down into the dogs that, you know, are going to be able to handle what's in front of them. And having that smaller team is also a lot easier to take care of a lot easier to travel, you know, traveling with eight or nine dogs is just easier. You know, you're carrying less, less supplies, less food, your gang line is shorter. And so like, I would much rather have a, a team of eight or nine, you know, old Iditarod vets that, that know how to push through anything than having a team of 14 dogs where you have a bunch of younger dogs that haven't quite figured out how to, how to, you know, that mental toughness aspect of running 300 miles into a race. You know, that's such a unique perspective. Sean has talked a lot in the past about, you know, we'll look at, the Iditarod finishers and will notice certain teams that finish with their 14 dogs. And Sean's Sean's made the comment before, like that's super impressive. Um, but hearing that perspective that you just spoke about, about how it's easier, it makes sense. I mean, you're not losing the MPH by dropping those dogs. It's less that you're carrying in your sled it's easier when you are getting the checkpoints or when you are camping to feed them. And, and it's like quicker to get you maybe more rest as well. Um, so that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That's a perspective I hadn't heard. I, I, 
I yeah. had just heard Sean talk about a lot of like, man, that's impressive when they have all 14 at the end. Um, but that really I makes mean, a lot of sense. At the end of the day, it's all about efficiency. You know, how can you move down the trail at an efficient rate with your dog team? And if traveling with 14 dogs that are all in really good shape and, you know, you can put in the time to take care of them and all the stuff, you know, if that, if that's what means you get down the trail faster, then that is incredible. And I think there's something to be said about that. But at the same time, you know, if you, if you can move faster with a smaller team, which is a strategy that, that Dallas is very good at, you know, he's like, he'll often leave dogs purely because they're younger, you know, and his plan was before the race started, you know, I'm going to drop him in McGrath. I'm going to take a two-year-old along and I'm going to give them a taste of a competitive experience in the beginning. And they're going to be a valuable part of the team, helping share the load of pulling the sled up and over, you know, rainy pass and all the, you know, climbing those mountains and all that stuff. And then when you get to where it really matters, he wants to be down to his, you know, his eight or nine core dogs that he knows are going to crush it. And, and so that's kind of a lot of what I've been thinking about and kind of how I approached that when I was contemplating leaving those couple dogs behind. Nice. I love getting that kind of behind the scenes, you know, what's going on in, in the mind of, of the decisions that are made. So I appreciate you kind of sharing some of that. Um, yeah. So, so now you're qualified for the Iditarod um, and congratulations, bro. You know, yeah, thank you. that's thank fucking you. badass. You're a badass just for qualifying yeah. for it. Um, so is there any like, uh, what is there any plans there? Are there the, is it like, we got to do this next year? Is it kind of like somewhere down the road? What is, has the conversation with Dallas even happened? Yeah, actually, I mean, we, we did talk about it a little bit on the drive back from Fairbanks when we were coming down from the race, but, you know, at the end of the day, it does come down to what the dogs need and kind of who we're going to have at the level of where we want them to be next year. Um, and then a lot of it comes down to whether or not Dallas decides to run Iditarod next year. And so there's, there's some things up in the air, but, you know, in an ideal world, I'd love to run next year. Um, that would be awesome. Uh, but if it happened the year after, I wouldn't be opposed to that either, but it's just, it's nice to know that I'm, I'm qualified to do it, which was a goal of mine for the last four years. And so finally kind of realizing that goal is, is, is nice. You know, I really, I really appreciate that. And so we'll, you know, we'll see a lot can happen between now and, and next year, but I mean, ideally I, I, I hope I can run next year. That would be, that would be pretty awesome. Okay. I have more probing questions, but I won't put you on blast. So, uh, <laughs> um, but obviously I know how it goes. I've seen, I've seen it firsthand with Sean, you know, he, he the first I did a ride he ran, he wasn't supposed to run. And then he runs the next one and, but all of a sudden he's with Dallas. And, and so I know that a lot of things can happen and it can happen kind of quick. Um, I think the one thing that you have going for you is it sounds like you have this really uh, established relationship with Dallas. It sounds like there's a lot of love and respect for each other. And, um, you know, I hope that, I hope that your Iditarod dreams come true and you get to run it sooner than later. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So on this Iditarod topic, you know, it's, I think we're officially under 30 days now. Um, do you have any thoughts going in the Iditarod? Just, uh, I mean, I would say 
Brent is as the the winning the winner from last year as the winner of the quest 550 he's got to be the uh the favorite um but are there any other storylines that you're looking at are there any other kind of who his competition might be anything like that yeah i mean you know to be honest brent's i mean he's just looking at the playing field right now i mean it's he's he's not going to have a ton of people that might necessarily be uh, putting some heat on him, um, which is generally what it takes to get a fast Iditarod in is you need two fast teams minimum kind of chasing each other to the finish line. And that's historically been something that Dallas and his dad do kind of chasing each other to the finish line. So it's going to be interesting, you know, but there, there are mushes out there that have come back year after year and proven they've, they're really, they're really uh, knowledgeable and they've got what it takes to, to run the trail and, and they're good dog people, you know, people like Jesse Holmes and, you know, people that have had, an, a, you know, quite a few top, top five, if not top 10 runs in the Iditarod. And so I, you know, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't write off a lot of the mushers that are in the Iditarod this year. There are a ton of, a ton of mushers that have a lot of potential, and a lot of capabilities and they're really strong dog teams, but you know, obviously Brent's, he's coming back. He's got a strong team. He's been showing everybody he's got a strong dog, dog team. So I think it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it, how it falls, because at the end of the day, you can have a strong dog team, but the Iditarod rod trail can throw a lot at you. You know, some, some people train a lot more in crazy weather. And if there's a crazy weather year, you never know. They might be able to pass a, a really good musher like Brent. So we'll see. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's, I mean, there's going to be a, there's going to be a race either way, but, but Brent's definitely, you know, he's going to have some heat, but not a ton of heat. We'll see. So you think that uh, maybe the, the race might be more for who's in second than, than who's, who's in first kind of thing, or, um, you know, it's not, it sounds like you really do think that he, he's the strong favorite. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there there are some incredible mushers that are in the playing field this year, but it's definitely going to be a lot of it depends on on the route and a lot of it depends on the the temperature and weather and all that stuff. And and I think that as far as the people that are showing up with their teams trained that have shown that they can be competitive, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a good race. I think there's going to be a good race. So it's, it's, it's really tough to tell though, because a lot of the mushers that are, that are showing up, haven't been in some of these longer races, you know, like Jesse Holmes wasn't in this race. So you don't know how his team's looking. You don't know how he's doing, you know, he's out crushing miles and training hard and he might show up to the, the starting line and be just immediately be able to out, out, you know, outgun a, a guy like Brent, but we'll see, you know, and people like Matt Hall, who obviously has a good dog team and who just ran an incredible race, you know, he's prepping for I did rod right now. And, you know, he's a top 10 I did rod finisher. And that, that, I mean, that's honestly what I love about the I did rod. It's not necessarily, you know, you're not always the best. It's not like a race like NASCAR, where if your car's tuned properly and it's not raining, you're going to finish at the same level all the time. Like dog mushing is so much more than that. You know, it can be, like so much of it depends on how you train your dogs, how you take care of your dogs, how you take care of yourself on the trail, you know, the conditions and, you know, all of these things. Like there's a lot of stuff that can get between you and a first place finish in a thousand mile race. 
and it's not all the musher. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just excited for the race. Um, I'm hoping yeah. that that some some someone can put a little bit of heat on on Brent. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I was thinking to myself and it was almost unfair that he got the number one bib in in the quest because, you know, essentially I know that he was passed a few times, but I mean, it, it was didn't he didn't get past much, you know, Um so, you know, it'd be nice maybe if he gets I guess it all ends up working out with the extra time that you have in your man in your mando, but still. Um I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I, maybe that's just me though. Yeah. No, I mean it's I'm I'm getting really jazzed for I did a ride that's coming up now that I'm not thinking about the the quest anymore. You know, that's kind of the next big thing coming up. So but I mean, honestly, like I think I think Kelly has a really really good chance of placing well in this race. I mean, he's gonna have an incredibly stacked team, and you know, with this being, I think his eighth or ninth Iditarod, you know, he's got he's got the experience running the Iditarod. He's a very talented you know dog driver, and you know, he's getting a Ferrari. These dogs are <laughs> they're really good. There's a really good team. And honestly, all of them are in their prime as far as age goes and as far as their race experience goes. And he's gonna have some of the best dogs on the trail, no doubt. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, I would expect Kelly to be definitely a contender when it comes to shooting up there and you know, for the top three podium spots. But I mean it's okay. a it's an awesome team. I I, I can tell you from experience because I've been training them all year. They're they're scary strong. It's, it's incredible to see what they're able to do. Can you remind me who is running Mitch's team or dogs? Yeah. So that is a uh, Christian Turner. Okay. Yep. So Christian actually used to, he ran, I did a rod uh, two times with Dallas's dogs back in the day. He handled for Dallas um, years ago and yeah, he's actually the, the, the sled I ran the quest in was his old sled. And so it was the only, it was the only uh, sled built for a person over six foot at the entire kennel. So that's the one I took. And uh, yeah, so he's, I mean, he's also got huge aspirations. He's a really, really, really competitive guy. Um, I really like Christian. He's awesome. How long has he been here in, in, uh, or here? I say like I'm in Alaska, but how long has he been in Alaska? I mean, it says, it says he's from Australia. So, so he's here now. Um, I, I want to say he got here within the last three or four weeks. So he's, um, yeah, he's, he's here, but yeah, his, uh, his wife and kid are back in, uh, back in, uh, Christy. She's back in, in, uh, Australia and, but he's over here and he even sent me a message. He said, he said, tell the mad stork, I'll be chasing him down. Come I did a rod. Cause that's Kelly's, um, old college boxing name, the mad stork. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so there's there, there's already a little bit of competition between those two but you know and be, i'm sure the team that mitch has got going out is going to be strong as well um really strong so i also wouldn't i i wouldn't write him off he's he's going to be a force to be reckoned with out there on the trail as well yeah i'll be interested in to see the uh the cv dogs racing you know with the different mushers racing against each other that's like a race to watch within the race kind of thing <laughs> yeah well, and it's funny because both both kelly and christian christian are both like six foot four so they're really they're really tall guys like they're 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 big 
and so it'll be it'll be cool to see some uh some jolly green giants out there yeah we got to get some some tall some tall folks out there got to represent you're how tall are you you're about my height six two ish i'm six six one six yeah. one okay i mean same 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 uh area so nice yeah. um a lot more wind drag is the problem you get the uh, wind that's the problem yeah all right, so i guess a couple things i didn't ask you about how you like to do the races are you sitting down at all during the race um usually i mean generally i'm standing up unless you know if i'm on a river like when i'm on birch creek for 50 60 miles you know i'll i'll sit down every now and then take a take a load off but for the most part i stand up yeah and just for any of the listeners that are from Georgia or don't know anything about it, what that question is. So for the longest time, the sleds, you stood on sleds. And then somewhere along the way, uh, I feel like maybe Jeff King, uh, he showed up with like a, a seat, a seated apparatus that you could sit on. I guess um, from what I remember seeing when I was there, it kind of looked like just like a cooler, um, yeah. but like, it's you can sit down and the dogs are still doing their thing, but it gives the musher a chance to uh, not t potentially fall asleep while they're standing or just honestly, yeah. just to give you guys a, a your knees and your back and all of that a break, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, so we call those tail draggers um, kind of like the planes, but different. Um, so we call them tail draggers and it's basically, yeah, it's a cooler and that's what you feed your dogs out of. So that's the the container that you, you mix their food in with hot water and make that soup for them when you're in camp. Um, you can also store some stuff back there, you know, like in the race, when I blew through two rivers, I had a bale of straw, picked up half a bale of straw and put it right on top of the cooler and just put a ratchet strap around it. And that's how I transferred that. So I wasn't able to sit down for a little while, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to plan to not be able to sit down and it's nice to be able to sit down. So like standing up, when there's any kind of technical sled driving is, is going to be pretty obvious. You want to be up and, and watching your team and stuff like that. But it is pretty nice if you want to, you know, eat some beef jerky and sit down for a second and then enjoy the, the, the trail you're on. You can sit down, pop a squat, eat some beef jerky and stand back up and keep going. But did you have any uh, Northern lights out there? Um, I didn't notice any when I was out, I did see some people saw some, um later in the race but i didn't i didn't see any while i was out there no it was mostly just a full moon it was a really nice full moon it was so bright you could turn your headlamp off and mush in the middle of the night with no headlamp it was so wow. bright it was it was yeah, it was pretty pretty special to see actually for me uh one of my bucket list items was has always been to see northern lights i've just like i've heard about it and uh I, you know, Sean, like my uncle lives in Alaska, so he's talked about it. And then Sean now living there, he's, he's been about it, but I remember going out there the first I've been out there. I think it's three times now, the first two times I'm like, all right, I got to see it. I got to see it. And didn't get a chance to see it. And finally the last time, uh, Sean had just gotten back from his, I did a rod and, and, uh, I know it was epic because the people that live in Alaska were like, Oh, this is a top fiver for, for me. This is definitely one of the like mo more epic. It wasn't just like a little like beam of, yeah. of it. It was literally like the whole sky was just like lit up and it was just dancing and it was so oh, yeah. not getting lost in that. Like, I think that would be a pretty, 
um, welcome sight for a musher who's doing a long distance race. And, you know, yeah. maybe you're fighting some of your inner demons or you're sleep deprived or whatever it is in that moment, but you can like appreciate, like look up, I guess for this race, it was, you had beautiful moonlight, but I'm sure the, the Northern lights would be pretty cool as well. Oh yeah. No. And it's, it, it's cool because the dogs react to it as well. Like when you get a really good showing of the Northern lights, and everything starts turning green, you know, you can shut your headlamp off when you're mushing at night and your dogs, like they can almost feel the energy. And so it's, it's pretty wild because they'll start surging, you know, and like looking around and you know, they can tell something's up. Cause it's, you know, it's happening, happening in the atmosphere. You can like feel this energy kind of boiling up. Um, so it, it is a pretty special experience to be out there and see the Northern lights. You know, I, I found myself, very very grateful at the end of the day when i get a chance to, to mush under the northern lights because you know how many people travel up to alaska to see the northern lights don't even get to see them and then yeah. you end up in like a race like the quest and you're out in the middle of nowhere with your dogs and you just you, the, the northern lights come out and you're like this is what it's about like this is this is cool it doesn't even matter how we're doing where we're at what we're looking like you know i'm out on the trail with my dogs and the northern lights are illuminating everything around you and there's like caribou running next to you and Arctic foxes and wolverine prints and wolves. And, you know, we saw a ton, a ton of wolf prints on the quest trail. And uh, I guess someone even told me there was a wolf um, stuck in a snare on the side of the trail. I never ended up seeing it, but um, some people said they saw it, you know, and it's just like, this is as far as my dreams of living in Alaska and the stuff I hope to accomplish. Like that's, that's, that's just badass, you know, if Super any, cool if anyone is listening right now who's like questioning, you know, a trip to Alaska even or, you know, like you just did such an awesome job. I feel like selling it, you know, just uh, that's the one thing like I'm I always I'm telling anyone I have I have a friend who lives in Tennessee right now. And uh, I, I was just kind of scrolling through through uh, through social media the other day and. And he was posting something about a trip to Alaska. And I'm like, dude, I'm your guy, man. My brother lives there. Like, you got a question. I got an answer for you. So um, to anyone to anyone listening who hasn't been to Alaska, like, good Lord, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, everyone gets caught up on this notion of it being so cold. But, like, you're never outside like I am right now. You're not in a <laughs> Right? You're I don't even own a tank top <laughs> or shorts. I don't even own a pair of shorts. And that's my point exactly. Like you're never okay. Like Sean, when I went out there, Sean finished that dinner out. I think it was like negative twenty or so. We're layered up. I mean, yeah, it's cold outside, but like it's all relative. And anyways, yeah. I, without going down that rabbit hole, uh, I'm always telling people they got to get to Alaska, and uh, and it doesn't matter. Like. Maybe not the winter for your first time, but like spring, summer, or or the fall. The fall's short. Um, is definitely. Yeah, I, I remember I was just in a, I was in Amsterdam for my thirtieth birthday for my thirtieth birthday, and I was riding with a pedicab. You know, like the the bike. Um, yeah. Pedicab, and it was like two in the morning, and I was trying. I was th this guy was like, "Oh, you're from Alaska. That's cool." And he was telling me about how you know where he wanted to go in life and all that stuff, and. By the end of our ride together, getting back to my hotel room, 
I was trying to convince him. I'm like, you need to come to Alaska. Like you would love it. And like, you know, I'm in Amsterdam at two in the morning trying to convince this pedicab driver. I'm like, you got to come to Alaska. Like it, it would blow your mind. It's the coolest thing ever. And I was just kind of like, I was doing to you, just telling you about all these things I've seen and what makes it special for me. And I'm like, you got, you know, so I'm, I'm always trying to sell people on Alaska just because it is such a cool place, you know, as much as everyone here loves the the fact that there are not a ton of people, you know, it's also one of those last truly wild beautiful places in north america and you know even if it's only for a visit i think it's it should be a bucket list item for everybody i can't tell you like i was just talking to my wife and i'm like we have to get back to alaska um you know i mean like we have we have a 14 month old son and his name is hatcher after hatcher pass which is in alaska like we Mm -hmm. We, even though we don't live there, we definitely got a lot of love for Alaska. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of wrapping some things up here. I don't want to get too down the rabbit hole with all these other things. It's so easy to do. Um, what are your plans for the Iditarod? Are you, uh, part of like the team helping out Kelly? Are you going to be at any of the checkpoints? Are you, you still got to be at the kennel running the dogs that aren't in it? What's the plan there? Um, you know, to be honest, I don't even know yet. So I, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough, but you know, we're all, everyone at the kennel is going to be pretty heavily involved at the starting line. And so we're going to be there to, to get Kelly out onto the, you know, ceremonial start and launching for Iditarod, um, and all that stuff. And, you know, as far as who's going to be at the finish line to take care of the dogs, I'm not sure who that's going to be yet. We'll see. I mean, I'd love to go back to Nome. I went last year, um, to be there for, uh, Dallas's finish and then Chad's finish in seventh place so it was super cool experience to get out there and that was one experience that you know kind of reinforced my like yeah I want to I want to get here but next time be a dog team like this is it was cool to fly here but but I want to I want to I want to mush here so it was it was really cool and I mean I I definitely hope that I'm able to get out to Nome again this year because it's a super cool community especially during that time and you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see. I also could be the person staying back at the kennel. Who knows? We'll see. Gotcha. It's yeah. like, I'm asking all these questions and you just finished your race like two days ago. You're like, uh, I'm, I'm just enjoying a day off today. Uh, yeah. I'm not even thinking about two and a half weeks from now or three, whatever it is, four weeks from now. Um, well, it's a well, well earned day off. I'll tell you that. Um, so before we go, I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, promote yourself. Uh, if people are interested in following you, where can they follow, you know, your story or, you know, if dogs need to be sponsored, anything like that, what, uh, do you have anything that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, the social media is going to be a big one coming up, uh, on, I'm not, I'm on pretty much only on Facebook. Um, that's the only platform that I use, but I'm going to be hopefully putting out some kind of sponsorship deals and also kind of ways to follow my training and racing and, uh, kind of the team and all that stuff. If people are interested in getting involved, um, we, you know, and hopefully by next year, I'll have that kind of a little bit more dialed in. If I do end up running, I did a ride next year, but um, we'll figure it out that way. But we generally kind of do like a, a, like a kennel sponsorship type of thing. So if people are interested in sponsoring, you know, you can sponsor um, Dallas um, 
or myself. And we do a lot of fun stuff where you're able to sponsor single dogs and, you know, you can be like a more, more, uh, involved sponsor where you can get a bunch of cool stuff like you know they're finishing booties and harnesses and you know like cool memorabilia the like once in a lifetime type of stuff that we produce um but that'll all be on social media so i mean if you if you want to follow me on on facebook and we can be friends and that's kind of where i put out most of my stuff but other than that you know i haven't i haven't done a whole lot of that thinking far in advance yet so i'm gonna have to start thinking about that you're you're making me think about it now so <laughs> You know, it's uh, funny. We were, you know, we were just talking like when we have guests on, we need to give them an opportunity to just promote themselves. And or if there's anything that I haven't asked you that maybe you want to talk about, give you that opportunity. And, you know, so with you still kind of figuring out your Iditarod and what that looks like, you know, we will be happy to promote you when you have that together. And when, you know, like we can kind of just circle back around. So feel free to share that when, when you have that. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming on today, Sean. I hope we did you some respect in this, uh, in this episode. And uh, I'm sure you, you, uh, you are missed by the listeners. You're missed by Isaac and myself, uh, but much, much love. And uh, I'm sure he's, he's having a blast he's on. He's, he's probably like, I don't even care right now. <laughs> hanging on the side of the boat in the water, taking a drink. <laughs> you know just doing what you do in the grand but you know he's he's gonna come back and be and be be stoked on on i did a ride and what's happening but i also think he had a great you know time of his life so i'm happy yeah him. no he's this is a once in a lifetimer for sure and uh you know i'm sure he's gonna be trying to get to inside the 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 start line so maybe he'll run into you there maybe you can give him a one of your bat badges or whatever that is so oh yeah Oh yeah, no. He's, I mean, he he's got a lifetime badge at our kennel, so he he can he can show up. I mean, I mean, he is the Blackhawk expert. So, hey baby, that's yeah, it, hey, Blackhawk hey. expert. That's him. All right. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, he'll he'll definitely be there if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining, and uh, good luck with your Iditarod endeavors, sir. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It was a Awesome experience. Love talking dogs. Love talking Alaska. Heck yeah, ma'am. All right. Yes. Yeah.